I'm okay. And you know what? Even if I failed, maybe people would have laughed at me, but I'm not in second grade and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stigmas around it that yeah. I think a lot of them are self-imposed. You know, if you can come to peace with it and come to terms with it, mm -hmm. then yeah, you're going to be fine. I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guest for this episode is Mandy Nagel. Mandy is the founder and owner of I Thought of You, a web-based company that sources eco-friendly clothing, jewelry, and apparel from artisans around the world, making them available online and allowing those artisans the opportunity to earn a living wage with their wares with an audience they wouldn't have otherwise been open to. Mandy and I met on a Friday afternoon at Japs since 1879, or just Japs as it's known around Cincinnati, an iconic craft cocktail bar in Over the Rhine located in a former wig shop. Japs was one of the early landmarks in Over the Rhine's booming bar and restaurant scene, and owner Molly Wellman is a Cincinnati icon deserving, really, of a show all her own. She's pretty much single-handedly kicked off the Cincinnati craft cocktail revolution when she opened Japs about nine years ago, and is still probably the most visible face of vintage and craft cocktails in Southern Ohio. When I walked in, Molly was hard at work doing research on a cocktail called the Knickerbocker, a classic cocktail, which she was kind enough to let me finish after she took some photos of it. If you've never had a Molly Wellman cocktail, and I'm not just talking about the drink, but the experience of having her make it for you and tell the story while she does, it's an experience like no other, and you should definitely stop by Japs and see why. Back to Mandy, our guest. I thought of you, her business, is such a great idea, and Mandy has done an amazing job of bringing it to life. You will hear her passion for her work come through as we talk, and the commitment to doing it right while doing right by the people she partners with. This is one of those conversations with someone who wanted to change their life, and did. And if you're listening to this and maybe you're stuck in a rut, I invite you to listen close to the details of Mandy's story and see if any connections develop between where you are and where you want to be. And with that, here is my conversation with I Thought of You founder Mandy Nagel on The Distiller. First, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Japs. Thank you. Quick drink. It's good to be back here. Yeah. You live in Columbus now. I do. So the business is based here in Cincinnati. All of our inventory okay. is here, but I happen to live in Columbus, but I'm down here all the time. And you lived in Austin for a while. I lived in Austin, lived in California. Missed Ohio. Okay. And so now I'm back. All right. Well, good. Well, welcome back to Chaps. It's raining out. <laughs> I know. It's lovely. Uh, this is not Austin weather. <laughs> this is going to be great. It's one of these great Cincinnati springtime days yeah. where a storm will come through and it'll be noisy and poor. We'll get dramatic thunder. And then it'll stop. <laughs> so listeners, if you hear thunder, it's it's for real. It's not after effects. <laughs> not sound effects. First of all, and we'll, we'll get into all of the context, but describe... Um, I thought of you.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just tell people what it is because everything else is going to be context for Fair. how that came about. But let's start off with what is the business that you founded and run? Okay. So I thought of you, we call it a social enterprise because okay. we are for profit. Um, but we are, we're women owned. I'm the owner. Mm -hmm. And we work with people in developing countries who hand make products, uh, mainly women's apparel, accessories, jewelry, things like that. Um, that are made from the natural materials that are in their respective environments. Okay. So we have glass beads from Indonesia. We have wood products from Indonesia. We have metal products from India. We have made from fruit products from South America. Hmm. Um, right now we're in nine countries working with um, different artisan groups, and we're growing. So that's kind of the 30,000-foot view in a that's nutshell. That's so cool. Yeah. And, and if people want to, if you're sitting at your computer and you're listening to this, they can go to ithoughtofyou.com. Mm -hmm and see the story and the inventory and shop there and support the artisans while yeah. they're listening to the show. And obviously, uh, we will link to your website and social media pages and, and all of that from thedistillerpodcast.com. So even if you're listening in the car later on, you can check it all out. But it's all there. Yeah. We actually have a video. Uh, we were up for a big grant last year that we did not get, and that's okay. <laughs> but it really forced us to tell our story and to talk about you know, how we became what we are, why we do what we do. And so there's a really neat video on our, um, our mission page, on our About Us Perfect. page, to kind of talk about um, basically the way we came to be is I happened to be in Indonesia for just travel reasons, nothing really specific. Mm -hmm. I came across a woman who was selling her products at a little table in a little market, and it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Hmm. So I bought a bunch of it, again, selfishly. Um, it was for myself, and so I brought it back here. 
Um, all my friends loved it. I ended up selling every single piece I bought for myself right to see if there was a market for it, and there was. And so from there, um, I've continued to work with her. We develop products, um, you know, colors, styles, fabrics that are popular there. They may not be popular here. Right. So they need a little advice on, you know, what to make to sell in our market. And so okay. from there, the partnership has blossomed. She has a, a whole group that works with her to make jewelry. Uh, her husband happened to be a wood carver. So now many of our jewelry pieces have wood elements in them as well. So it's a whole family business. How cool. Is it, so are you her major client now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At the time... Oh, the that thunder. was thunder, yeah. <laughs> At the time, um, she was just selling to tourists as they would happen across her table in Indonesia. Mm. And, you know, she wasn't um, making a ton of money. You know, it was kind of like off in a back alleyway. I just happened to go down there. There was no reason I should have went down there, but here we are. So Did, I, six or seven years later, it just that was a happy accident. Had you ever thought of doing something like this before that? No. This Just was not on my radar. Yeah, I, um, I I went to UC's DAP program. I was in the design school, but I was not in any sort of fashion design or product design. I was in digital design, yeah. which is a major that no longer exists. Um, but it was uh, kind of just a design marketing program. Okay. So I kind of had the web background and the marketing background, but I didn't have the color, you know, um, color theories that relates to fashion. Um, you know, I wasn't a fashion major, so oh. I kind of had to learn a lot very quickly. But you know, a lot of it fell into place. Well, that's, that's, I want to hear all of that because yeah. I would imagine there's, there's the decision to start the business and whatever you think it could be right. at the start, which starts off with just buying. What, what was it you liked about her work? You're standing at the table. Mm-hmm. What was it you liked about it from the, from the get-go? I had never seen anything like it. It, it was um, beaded, very, very teeny tiny micro glass beads, and they were all strung. I mean, this one necklace probably had thousands of glass beads. Mm. It's a very, um, you know, there, it was a substantial piece when you held it in your hand, and it was just very neat. I'd never seen jewelry like it before, and so, again, I thought it was cool. I would wear it. Yeah. That doesn't mean other people are going to wear it, though. So when I brought it back to really get opinions of other people, you know, would you spend your money on this? Yeah. It was a, a resounding yes. So why, why at the table do you not buy one for yourself and move on like what was the what was the the initial seed of a thought that yeah. caused you even at that point to buy more than one so i have had a lot of entrepreneurial thoughts in the past. So I used to flip houses before it was cool, before there was TV shows about it. Uh Um, I used to be a wedding photographer. So all these kind of ventures that were my own thing. And, you know, I had always had a kind of a real job on the side at the time. And um, that was just kind of extra fun spending money, something to do. And I always say it's to keep me out of trouble. Um, You know, it's just something to keep me busy. And so I love these pieces. And I I just thought people back home would love these. I bet they've never seen anything like it either. Hmm. Okay. So you bought how many, roughly? Probably 15 to 20. I don't right. think she'd ever sold 15 to 20 pieces to a single person, so she was a little confused, maybe yeah. why I was buying out her entire table of products. Right. Um, and I, I kind of tried to vaguely explain what I was doing, but I also didn't want to get her hopes up. You know, what if I brought it back and no one liked it, and I didn't want to crush her spirits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're just, I'm, I'm buying all of these. And give mm-hmm. us an idea, maybe not exact price, but yeah. how much is she selling that stuff for back then? Oh, gosh. I don't remember, to be completely honest. So the way we we structure our financial model right now is that all of our artisans are paid for their time, their talent, their materials, their labor, um, and they're paid fair wages. Mm-hmm. So in other countries, um, it's not unheard of for someone, a family, to live on three dollars, three U.S. dollars a day. Yeah. So my thought also was, you know, this woman, she's very good at what she does. Um, I didn't know at the time, does she have a family? Does she have kids? Is she married? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how is she supporting herself? So once I got to know her more um, and to know people in her community, these people were living on very little, um, despite being very hard workers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were paying her fairly for what she's doing. But also in the same aspect, we wanted to make sure that we could make a profit and keep our business here running. So now the way we operate is that when we place an order, it's usually a very large order, we'll pay them up front. So they have the capital to buy cool. the materials to pay their other workers. Um, in a lot of developing countries, there's no such thing as bank accounts. Well, there are, but our, our artisans don't have those. They are not on the the top tier of income earners. Right, right. So they can't get loans. They can't do all these things that we take for granted. So we want to make sure that they can have that working capital, that they can, um, you know, make smart business decisions because they are a business at that point. Yeah. Um, and we're usually their big client. So you leave. You don't tell her. You don't get her hopes up. You come home, you sell all of these pieces, you got her. How did you even keep in touch with her? 
WhatsApp. Okay. All right. So I I don't I never use WhatsApp. Um, apparently, everyone in in Asia does. Yeah, the and entire rest of the world. Pretty yeah, much it's very does. weird. So yeah. um, I I got her contact information. I went back. You know, the next day she was there again. Uh-huh. Um, and I got her contact information. I just said, you know, I'd like to keep in touch. Okay. And I kept it basically at that. And um, obviously, I ended up going back over several times and meeting up with her and meeting her family. But that was kind of that first that first contact. And when you first told her that you had an idea for a business that involved mm-hmm. her. How does she react to she that? Was and how, what's, excited, the, what's the pitch? I mean, confused. how do you even... Yeah, right. You know, how, how, was, how was my business involving her? I mean, obviously she knew I'd be selling her products, but, um, you know, she, I think she was excited and hopeful because, again, she probably didn't want to get her hopes up. Mm-hmm. You know, she was her own business over there. She was selling to tourists, though, so it really wasn't a, a, a structured business. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I was telling her the quantities I was hoping to buy, and we bought... Um, about half of a 40-foot container load is our first wow. order. And you know, when that showed up, when you have 20 feet of uh, very small merchandise, um, unloading it by hand yeah. because it was my father and I, um, it's a lot. We were a little overwhelmed when we first got that order. So imagine her packing that up and getting it ready to load onto the truck to take to the port. It was a lot. I'm, I'm trying to remember how many pieces it was. Um, all I can say is it was a lot. <laughs> And you, I mean, I have so many questions about that in terms of the, you know, the risk. Obviously, the cost to produce is relatively low, certainly mm-hmm. lower than it would would be here in the United States. But mm-hmm. still, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Now you have all this stuff yeah. <laughs> that you have to figure out how to right. how to offload. You have the business arrangement with her. You've paid her mm-hmm. upfront for yep. For so the she's one hundred percent paid at that point. She's yeah. good. Great <laughs> until the next shipment comes. Yeah. Yeah. But I got, I've got to imagine that even, I don't want to overstate it, but even that first order mm-hmm. has to sort of affect her life. It did. And, I mean, and, and repeated orders literally change her life very right. rapidly. And so not only is it affecting her life, um, there's a stat that I don't want to guess at it. I, I would get it wrong. But when you invest in a woman in a developing country that really doesn't have another means of income, you know, a lot of times in those countries, men are the, the people who hold yep. positions, whether they're workers, taxi drivers, anything. Um, women I invest, I mean, I want to say maybe 70% of their income back into their community hmm. via family purchases, via, you know, caring for the needs that she needs to care for. So, you know, she could afford clothes for her school or clothes for her children to go to school, yeah. um, clean water sources, healthy food, medical, if they would need anything medical related. So she can now kind of afford to live the life she probably only ever dreamed of. Right. So not only is it affecting her, she had help making the pieces. She didn't make them all herself. So it's affecting the workers in her town now. Yeah. And they, you know, they're, um, they're affecting their families. So the we always say it's a ripple effect. Yeah. You buy a necklace and you think it's just buying a necklace, but there's so many people who touched it and so many lives that are being affected. That's amazing. It's really rewarding to think about. Yeah. Especially when, you know, I know not everyone gets a chance to go over and see these people in person, but um, they're so grateful yeah. and they're so thankful for the opportunity because, you know, they had the skills. They just didn't have the means to monetize those skills. Right. And I kind of imagine there's something in there, certainly about immediate concerns and about uh, about a level of security mm-hmm. that just frankly doesn't exist prior to that. But then there's also something about dignity, mm-hmm. um, about valuing and seeing that somebody else is valuing what she's doing. Yeah. And we talk a little bit in our video about that. That's, you know, where we had to figure out how to tell our story in a compelling way. And, you know, basically I think one line in the video is that what she had been working her whole life to do, she was now being rewarded and being proven that it does have value. Mm-hmm. And something that she really dedicated her life to is now paying off for her in a big way. And yeah. you know, imagine thinking, you know, maybe you don't know where your meals are going to come from next week. And all of a sudden, um, you know, if you're financially savvy, you're probably set for the rest of the year. Yeah. And, you know, what do you do with that? You know, hopefully you budget accordingly and, and you know, um, are responsible with that. Right. Uh, and she has been very much so. Um, but, you know, she has a whole network of workers that she pays now. And, you know, when she goes out to gather her materials, it's probably a whole different mindset for her. Wow. So you're not supporting an artisan, you're supporting a village. A network. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's entire towns of, of people. When I say towns, it's different than the towns you and I think of yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, they're small communities, but they're so tight-knit and so interwoven. You know, everyone looks out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been in their homes. I've seen where they live. And again, it's, it's very different. But they're, they're so optimistic and positive. You know, um, the way they live, you know, her family, they take a yearly trip to um, the mall. That's their vacation. They, there's five of them. They load up on their scooter and they go to the mall. There's an arcade there. And for their children, that is, um, it's like Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's just, it's so much fun. And to see the, you know, their faces be lit up. So they're able to do that more often now. And they're mm-hmm. able to do all these things that they just didn't think, they probably never thought they'd have the opportunity yeah, yeah. to do. So how long, uh, first of all, I guess, how long mm-hmm. did it take you to sell that first shipment? Mm, I mean, oh maybe, gosh. <laughs> I understand there's not a, a, probably a point at which it's yeah. all gone and then you start again. There's right. probably some trickle, but. There's a lot of trickle. Yeah. So we, when we placed this first order, um, I would say maybe two to three years to sell all that. You know, it was okay. slow go because on day one, you don't have a pool of customers. No one right. knows who you are. Right. Um, day one was me uh, figuring out how to photograph all these items. So um, we got samples in before we ordered it. I photographed those. Mm-hmm. When you hand make something, when the shot comes in, looks a little different. Yeah, right. So we had to do all that over again. So it's not that it was bad. It was just, you know, I don't want to photograph something, sell someone a photograph, and then have yeah. the product arrive differently. So. Yeah, yeah. We really had to redo a lot of work. We were shooting on models, which were my friends at the time. They weren't professional models, <laughs> nor do we use professional models now. But, you know, shooting all the products just on a, a white background. Right. Um, you know, there was a lot of legwork that had to be done to get our website up and running, uh, to get social media up and running, to get all of those kind of marketing materials from zero to even tell people, who right. are we? What do we do? Um, our first website was bad. And I come from marketing. I mean, I, I would look back at this website and I go, you know what? I had good intentions. <laughs> and it, it wasn't easy to use and it wasn't good looking. But we've uh, we've made strides since then. But it's not it's not just the website. It's also the e-commerce aspect mm, right. of the website, Shopify or whatever you're We use Shopify. That okay. was new to me. Um, yeah. I don't get paid from Shopify to say this. It's, it's very easy to use. It does have its mm-hmm. hiccups and its quirks. But... Um, I did a lot of research on e-commerce um, uh, resources, and they were—they seem like the most user-friendly, and I think yeah. they still are. Although you know, it's not perfect, but they're getting better. But it's a whole other education. It's not it just is. a matter of I want to do something. I have a business idea. Mm-hmm. I get to help somebody while I'm doing it. Great, we'll just do it. It's like a, right. a, the number of things that you have to learn. Walk yeah. through that. What were and tell us? Tell us what are the things that I'm not even thinking of that you had to learn along the way to yeah. even make this happen. At and the start? that's why it took us about two and a half years from idea to website launch okay. because there's a lot of things in there. I mean, not only making the products, but figuring out um, how are we going to sell these, mm-hmm. how are we going to photograph these. You know, I was a wedding photographer, so I had all this equipment. I knew how to use a, a nice camera, but um, I was used to shooting people, right. not shooting products on a sweep. So. Um, yeah, there's all that social media. You know, I use Facebook and Instagram. I never use it for a business purpose, though. So right. there's a whole lot more that goes into just the strategy of telling your story. You know, email marketing. We send out emails um, about once a week. Yep. Uh, if there's a sale, we'll send them out maybe twice a week. Um, you have to figure out how to build email lists and how to get um, media placements. So, uh, you know, national media will pick you up and tell your story for you. Right. And so write all and develop all the content for right. everything that goes into that social yeah. media posts, ad copy. Mm-hmm. I know you're, Hashtag strategy. You know, <laughs> right, I don't care who designer. sees my personal Instagram, but I want everyone to see my business Instagram. Right. So, you know, figuring out um, times of day to post. There's all these things that I did for um, past jobs at marketing agencies. Um, but, you know, I was the designer on it. I wasn't the the strategy, the content, the, you know, pushing it live. There's so much more that goes on, even though I was in that industry. Yep. Um, that once you're the one person that has to do all that. There was a lot of sleepless nights yeah. <laughs> and a lot of things, you know, it's, it's hard to shut your mind off because you think, well, what if I would have done this thing differently? Right. You know, am I forgetting to do something over here? Um, literally before I came here to see you today, I was working on accounting stuff because I have a tax appointment tomorrow. Uh-huh. So there's all of these things that, you know, you think starting a business sounds fun and it is, but there's a lot more that's not fun that goes into it. But again, going back to thinking about why you're doing it, mm-hmm. who you're doing it for, yeah. you know, it makes up for it. What? Uh, what of that has been the hardest for you? What were the biggest hmm. obstacles, the things that made me think, do I really want to do this? Yeah, there was, um, on our first shipment, some of the products came in. Um, I think the, uh, so we had some wood carved products back at the start. There was home decor items. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they fully dried. I think the uh, the wood covers were rushing things a little bit. Oh. They got loaded onto the container, and when they showed up to me, they were moldy. Mm. So what do you do with a couple thousand moldy uh, little carving trinkets? Um, what do you do? We uh, <laughs> back, back in the day, again, my father and I, um, we got to work, and we fixed them. And we would sand them down, oh, wow. and we'd restain them, and Seriously. we would seal them. So then, you know, there was nothing wrong with them anymore. But, you know, it's things like that that you think you're doing everything right, mm-hmm. and there's nothing we necessarily did wrong, Um Things that are unexpected, I guess, though. Yeah. So you have to be ready to pivot at any given point. 
um, some of my friends who are in similar situations, you know, they have a small kind of newish business. We're five years, almost five years old now. Mm-hmm. So we're still very young. They say, you know, in a year, you're not going to be the same business you were yeah. last year. And, you know, I was told that about twice before I really believed it. I said, you know, I'm selling jewelry. I'm selling trinkets. You know, how is this going to be different? Yeah. And they were really right. And so now <laughs> we're just a lot more open to changing. You know, if something's not working, let's change it. If something is working, figure out why and, you know, use that finding on something else to try to be more successful. What have you been surprised by in yourself that you're capable of that you wouldn't have mm. expected? Oh, gosh, that's a harder question than I was expecting. <laughs> I guess just kind of being a more business-minded person. Mm-hmm. I come from a creative background, and usually creatives aren't very good at business dealings. Um, and I'm still not. That's something that I struggle with. Um, you know, like I said, taxes aren't fun. Um, tracking your mileage isn't fun. Yeah. But um, I figured it out. And not to say I haven't had help. I've had a lot of help Um but it's things like that that I had no experience with. I had to kind of fumble my way through it. I definitely made mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're just, again, trying to get better at the things that I'm not great at. There's other things that I found that I'm better at than maybe I realized. Yeah. Um, you know, marketing, I think we've had a very grassroots marketing campaign. Um, we really don't, uh, you know, we don't have billboards or we don't even really do banner ads online, but a lot of word of mouth. Um, because I think people believe in what we're doing and they like what we do and they like the product. So it's easy to talk about it when you really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about the growth of that first, you said it takes two to three years mm-hmm. to sell through that. Yeah. At, at a certain point, you decide. Let's get some more. Right, that, <laughs> yeah. that second order, I've got yeah. to imagine, is the, is the point at which maybe you think this, is, this might actually work. So the second order, it was kind of a dual order. So mm-hmm. we uh, we expanded our group in Indonesia that we were working with because we needed more jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, we also included uh, an artisan group in India that I had a contact. I had never been to India at that point. They go, you need to talk to them. Hmm. So I went to India and didn't really know what I was looking for. But, you know, sometimes that's really how we... By yourself, with a team? With my father. Okay. My dad goes with me on every trip. I love it. Yeah, it's really fun. Um we went over there, didn't, I mean, we knew the products we were looking for. We knew the people we were going to talk to. But other than that, you know, you go to a new country, you don't really want to have expectations because we've gone to new countries before and we found nothing. Mm. And you can't be disappointed because you tried. You didn't know if you wouldn't try. Yeah. So we went to India. Um, we worked with a group of artisans who made scarves, mm-hmm. fabric scarves, and they were made out of upcycled materials. Um, my favorite is a scarf that's made from upcycled saris that the women wear. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's 100% silk. And these, like, it's just, it's such a thick scarf. It's so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And again, just like the artisans in Indonesia, they reuse or they, they upcycle and use everything they have at their disposal. Nothing goes to waste. Wow. Um, so not only was it reordering and ordering new styles from our Indonesia group, we're now ordering our first order from our group in India and, you know, both of them, they've, they've just grown from there, but, um, it's a little nerve wracking. You're putting a lot of money on the line, just hoping it works. So, you know, our artisans, I I feel like they have more at stake than I do. You Mm. know, if I order a shipment of products in and let's say nothing sells, I'm still going to be able to eat tonight. Mm -hmm. If they don't have work, they may not be able to eat tonight. So, There's, um, it puts it into perspective when you think of it like that. You know, I have safety nets. They probably don't. Um, they like to call it the bank of the mattress over there because they don't have bank accounts. Yeah. They keep all their money in their mattress. Yep. Probably giving away their secrets right now. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's a different world. Yeah. So when I talk about the risks I've taken, it's a whole lot different than the risks that they've taken. And even though you're paying them up front, that doesn't guarantee mm-hmm. a future order. Uh, yes and no. Basically, you know, when we order our products now, um, we'll do a bit smaller shipments now because mm. we want to test things. So okay. we're constantly testing new styles. Um, actually, just yesterday, we had a sample sale. It's an online sale that we sell our one-of-a-kind things for things that maybe didn't work. Mm. Um, maybe things that our artisans couldn't produce in large quantities, even though it's a gorgeous style. So we're keeping them busy. It just may not be quite that bulk of that first order, yeah. but um, there's always something in the works. So you know, as long as they're good partners and as long as they want to do this, we'll have work for them. When you go to a new country, what are you, what are you looking for? Both, both specifically in terms of mm-hmm. this is what it has to be and whatever your mandatories are to work with an artisan, but also sort of the intangibles yeah. of what makes you think that relationship could, could work as well. So to start with, uh, you know, sometimes I'll have contacts or ideas or, you know, just a vague direction to go in a country. Sometimes I don't. And so usually I get there and I start making friends. Okay. And I talk about, you know, who's making stuff? What do they make? Um, you know, what materials do they make out of? Sometimes it's a certain city that I get directed to. Sometimes it's 
not. Sometimes it's a wild goose chase and there's there's no end to it and you know you just have to cut your losses. Mm-hmm. But from from the ground up, you know, we um, we embrace fair trade principles. So our workers have to be treated fairly, uh, work in a safe environment, mm-hmm. no child labor, um, fair pay for their wages. You know, not working with anything dangerous. You know, that could hurt somebody, um, and using eco friendly materials. So that's okay. kind of. Um, Non-negotiable, and yeah. you know, there's really been no one that says no. I don't want to do those things, but it's things that we um, make sure of, that we continue to check on, mm-hmm. and that um, that are very important to us and our customers. Okay. From there, I don't have expectations on styles or types of products. There's a lot of things that have surprised me that you know maybe it wouldn't have been my favorite thing that I would personally wear, but it's a bestseller. So <laughs> it's hard to put aside your personal style preferences yeah. because sometimes I'll get something in on a whim and I'll say, you know what, let's try it. Right. And it's surprising. So, you know, just because I wouldn't wear it, I'm not going to tell you which pieces those are because I don't want to influence every, anybody. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just because I wouldn't wear it doesn't mean that everybody else would. And I saw that you have a team of curators. We do. Now. So, so it's not just your your style. You're leaning into other people that are helping you with that. Yeah. So our curators, it's almost like um, a glorified affiliate program. Mm-hmm. Um, they are women across the U.S. who um, are basically having their own miniature version of my business, but it's their business. So mm-hmm. uh, they each get a free website. They can um, have orders coming through the website. We ship out the orders directly to the customers. Or, um, you know, now that it's almost summer, there's a lot of like table events, church fairs, summer festivals that are popping up. So if they actually want to set up and sell products right then and there, they can do that. Wow. Um, So they're really in charge of, you know, what they want to do, how they want to market themselves. We just provide the products to them. And we provide kind of the story and the marketing materials so they can tell that story um, as as well as they can. Oh, wow. So they're not just helping you decide what to sell. They're mm-hmm. actually participating in the process yeah. and making it a business for themselves. They are. Well. And you know, it's it's um, women from every walk of life. So we have moms, we have young girls in college, we have grandmas, we have uh, women who have retired from professional careers. I mean, literally, um, there's every type of woman in our network and they're all incredibly supportive. Um, they're so fun to work with. They have great ideas. And sometimes we just need someone to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. And they're very honest to a fault sometimes, which is good that we, you know, sometimes we need to hear that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great group of women that um, they just want to see everyone succeed. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, just like we do, it's, it's nice to surround yourself with like-minded people. Mm-hmm. So five years in, mm-hmm. how many artisans now? Oh my gosh. You know, it's hard to say. So we have, we're working in nine countries. Okay. And, uh, the amount of artisans we have at any given time will fluctuate because, sure. um, you know, if there's artisans that are maybe in the middle of going to school while they're working, um, they may decide to pursue other opportunities. So I'm going to get back to you on the number because it's not a, it's not a concrete number at any yeah, given yeah. point. Ballpark, though. I mean, it's Ballpark. not five. It's okay. like no, it's 50, not five. 100. Let's say. We're not yeah. going to hold it to no, you. No, Nobody's going to. I'm, I'm quickly going through all the countries. I'm going to take a guesstimate and say probably around 200. Hmm. It's, wow. it's a it's a good hefty number. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and the size of and and sort of the success. And I'm asking you for like revenue numbers, mm-hmm. but it's it's sustaining itself it in is, terms very of much so. uh, of actually making a fair wage for these these people who are producing mm-hmm. this, covering its costs for the website and the marketing and things like that. The right. idea We're, that you had for this business has turned out to be a successful it has, validating business idea. The, my, my business is 100% debt free. So we, wow. we don't owe money to anybody. We are very self-sustaining. Um, our curators are making money on their own as well. So um, you know, it seems like everyone's pretty happy at this point. So hopefully we can just keep learning and keep going from there. So what are the goals as you look at, I, I don't know mm. if you're a five-year planner or... I should be. <laughs> five, five years is a milestone. It is, But yeah. what do you think now about the future of the business? And is it, this is what you wanted to make and you just want to mm-hmm. keep doing it and let it grow organically? Or do you have plans to expand mm-hmm. it or change it in any way? Well, like I said before, I think, you know, we're very quick to pivot. If there's something that is or isn't working, we will learn from that. So, you know, a year ago, I'm trying to think of, you know, where we were. Um, You know, it's not to say that we're not opposed to changing. Um, I don't know what that would be until it presents itself yet, though. So there's a lot of things that, you know, with social media the way it is, you know, how you market yourself. 
Facebook just had a big video event yesterday. There's a lot of things that are changing on right. it. So there's a lot of opportunities, I think, as um, you know, social networking goes to kind of get that story out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities for our curator program to keep expanding to other women here. Mm-hmm. Um, we do also have an artisan group here in the U.S. that we work with. Okay. Um, so we're, we're very focused on giving back to women in this country as well as people in developing countries equally. But, you know, in addition to expanding our artisan groups, possibly going into new countries that we're not in yet, I think those are probably our biggest um, ambitions right now. How do you determine what actually amounts to a fair wage for somebody? That's a good question. So there is, uh, kind of at the the ground level, there is an online calculator that I don't necessarily use. Uh But if you, I'm trying to think, I think it's called the fair wage calculator. So if you're at your computer, you can Google that. Mm -hmm. And you select the country that you're working in because every country has a different living wage. Every um, section of a country has a different living wage. Think of here in Ohio versus uh, the Bay Area in California. There's going to be very different um, baselines to what is a fair wage. Mm -hmm. So we... um, we take it by country, by region. Um, we look at, you know, kind of what is food cost? What are housing costs? You know, are, does school cost money? Sometimes in some countries, school costs right. money. Right. So um, looking at that to make sure that our artisans are very comfortable is really what our goal is. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know. I mean, it makes yeah. sense now that there's a, a database that you can reference, yeah. but I never would have thought of that. And it helps, too, to actually, you know, we've been on the ground. This is not a long-distance relationship right. with our artisans, so we're there. We see it. We live it. Um, mm-hmm. We go over there for um, several times a year to all these respective countries, and um, it's it's a lot easier to understand when you've been there. Yeah. Um, you know, You'll see the impact of it. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's kind of an abstract idea, but you know I see people live so differently in other countries, and it, it is so different. So if you've never traveled internationally, um, it's very eye opening the first time. Yeah, how much are you traveling these days? So I actually had to take a little bit of a backseat <laughs> to traveling for health reasons. I have a um, this really bizarre heart condition that oh. I posted about on Instagram a couple times. Um, I'm not allowed to travel internationally by myself anymore, so wow. Dad gets to come with me. Okay, um, I've never. Had had any issues, but for that reason, I've taken the last four months off of traveling internationally, but um, we're ready to hit the ground running again. So we um, we have trips over to India and Asia planned for later this year. Awesome. We go to South America quite a bit because I don't want to say it's close, but compared to Indonesia, it's sure close. Right, right. I can get down to South America in eight to 10 hours where my last trip to Indonesia, I think it took me 45 hours. We were stuck in the Middle East for a night. They kicked us out of the airport because we were there too long. It was a... Uh, it, it's hard to travel. So people think I go and do these trips and it's fun, it's vacation, and it's very enjoyable. It's no vacation. Yeah, how long are you, and I would imagine there's a difference between um, an exploratory trip mm-hmm. and, a, and a whatever, you know, maintenance trip. Yeah, that's you a good ma- way to put it, yeah. Maintaining the relationships with your vendors. Mm-hmm. How, how long are those trips likely to be? A couple weeks. Okay. So if we're going over there and we have a really succinct goal in mind, it could be shorter. That's okay. usually not the case because we want to make the most of our time. So mm-hmm. we'll um, we'll go over there, kind of check on how things are coming, maybe with our next order, talk about a future order, mm-hmm. meet with a group that's maybe a couple hours away. So we try to really group our trips to be very um, not only cost effective because we're a small business. You know, we don't want to be throwing away money on first class flights and you know going over there every other week because that yeah. just wouldn't be productive. Yeah. Um, so we really want to make the most of our time and we want to make the most of their time too. They're busy. Yeah. You know, when they're making things, they're earning money. When they are not making things, you know, it's a little harder. How do you avoid the savior syndrome? That's, do you know what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, I do. Um, people have asked me like, why aren't you a nonprofit? Mm-hmm. There's a time and a place for nonprofits. Nonprofits are great. Mm-hmm. For this model though, we want to empower our workers. You know, I can... I can give them money for food all day long, but then once I stop, that's not helpful. They're yeah. still hungry. Yep. So we want them to see that there's value in what they do and show them how to monetize that. So, you know, we're not saving anyone. We're just selling products here in the U.S. They're doing the work. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that have the skills and, you know, they're, they're the labor. Yeah. So, you know, it's really them that are kind of in control of what they do and, and what they earn. Right on. So this podcast, you know, it's generally about work. We say it's how you find meaningful Mm -hmm. work, how you find meaning in the work that you do. It seems to me, and you've alluded to it earlier on, that you have sort of an interesting relationship to work, period, and Mm -hmm. did before you started this. You you generally sort of had your day job and then you had all the different things that you were doing Mm -hmm. on the side. Has this 
I guess I have two questions. One is like, how do you think about work? Period. Yeah. If you can, if you're aware enough to to sort of elucidate that. And secondly, how has this changed your view of work in a general sense, and specifically your relationship to work and your work? So as a small business owner, you're never off the clock. Right. I mean, literally, as I was driving here, I was thinking about probably, you know, colors for our winter line of necklaces or something. I mean, just something. There's always something. Yeah, there's always something to do. Um, there's always something that needs to be done. You're never done. Mm-hmm. You can clock out all you want, and your mind's not going to shut off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's good and it's bad. You know, it's hard to, like, when I actually go on a vacation, which isn't super often anymore, it's hard to really unplug. I mean, my laptop is connected to me. I'm constantly monitoring a Facebook poll or, you know, seeing what our comments are or looking at orders that are coming in. So there's always something to think about. There's always mm-hmm. something to do. Um, so I think it's a blessing and a curse yeah. that, you know, you are in control of what you're doing and, and how it's unfolding, mm-hmm. but you can never really get away. So as long as it's something that you really enjoy, um, it's okay. But you need to kind of find that mental balance where it's a healthy balance of, you know, you're not stressing yourself out too much over things that may not really be in your control. Yeah. So there's times of the year that um, are great sales times. We're in run right now. Um, Come June, July, kids are going to be out of school. People are busy. People are traveling. Sales will dip. And it's true for every business. So it's not just us. It's not just online. It's every business. So you need to know, you know, what you can affect and what you can't. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do anything about it, don't stress about it. Mm -hmm. So easier said than done. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect at this because I'm certainly not. But, um, you know, it's it's good and it's bad. And you just have to understand why and then how to deal with it. Do you enjoy that? I, I have been a business owner at mm-hmm. different points, and I know that I don't actually deal well <laughs> yeah. with the stress. I have whatever megalomania or, you know ex- yeah. exists there that I tend to take responsibility for things even when I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So when I actually am responsible, <laughs> it's the worst. Uh-huh. Um, do you enjoy that? Does that uh, do you sit mm. well with that, even though it it never stops? No. (laughs) I don't think of myself as a controlling person when it comes to deliverables or tasks, but it's very hard for me to give things up. Say like, um, you know, I want someone else to do these tasks or, you know, don't worry, I trust you. You'll do it just as well as I will because I could hand it off and I am fretting the whole time they are working on it because I'm just like, I I would have done it differently. You're not a good delegator. I'm not. And I'm trying so hard and I am getting better. And yeah. Um, yeah, I still have a lot, a lot of room to grow there. But it's it's really hard when you have a vision, and you don't physically have all the time uh, in the day to you know bring that to fruition, mm-hmm. and to um, y- you know understand that you have to let go yeah. because you can't do it all. And if you try to do it all, you're going to fail because it's not going to get done well, yep. and or it just won't get done. Mm-hmm. You you were in advertising. Advertising mm-hmm. is. This big, it's a beast. Yeah, a monster of an industry that will, it, you know, it's the good and the bad of it. The bad of it is that it will take everything that you ever give to mm-hmm. it. We, yeah. I'm sure I'll say this when I record the intro, but the reason that we know each other is because we worked in an advertising agency together a t- lot of years 10 ago. Years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's also an industry that, that, some would say overpays mm-hmm. for what you do. It's a, it's a lucrative industry. It's an industry that you can make a life in, um, you have made certain decisions to go in a direction that was more meaning driven. Yeah. Where does that come from in you? Like, where does the impetus, when you, when you see those things that are on the table, you also could have gone in a direction that you could have said, I can sell these Mm -hmm. and give her nothing. Yeah. Um, and you did neither of those. You said, I want to build a business that's built around community and, and something that's sustainable. Where does that drive come from in you? So I've had a lot of jobs in the past. I mean, if we've been featured in some articles. I think there, there's a couple. You'll see it on our website. But um, I had this little mini bio that I like to copy and paste when people ask me for my bio. And had a lot of different jobs. Um, I work for big corporate names like Apple. I've worked at Apple Computers at corporate. I've worked for, um, you know, companies here in Cincinnati that um, have advertising names. It's a big advertising town. And I really liked it. I mean, I think the job was fulfilling and my coworkers were fantastic. And I, I generally enjoyed it, but I didn't feel in control and didn't necessarily always maybe approve of what I was advertising for. So, you know, whether it's, you know, personal care products or um, consumables or, you know, retail marketing, you have to put out the advertisements that they're paying you to. And 
to a point, you know, you don't get a say. You need to tell consumers, this is a really great product and you should buy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that's what you get paid to do. And if you're okay with that, there's nothing wrong with it. But I wanted to be more in control of the messages that I was putting out. So, you know, part of the message was you can support this brand and you can feel good about what you're doing. Mm. And if that wasn't the case, then I wouldn't have felt good what I was felt good about what I was doing. So, you know, I think there was the opportunity that I probably didn't verbalize to myself or didn't even really think about. But, you know, this woman who was making my first round of products, I don't know if I could have slept well at night going, I can buy that from her for pennies mm -hmm. and sell it and make a huge profit yeah. and, you know, retire at 30. Right. That probably wouldn't have happened. But, you know, I, I wouldn't have felt good about that. <coughs> so I wanted to make sure it was something that, you know, I could personally endorse mm -hmm. and that I could feel like I was doing what I could in my small little corner of the world. Mm -hmm. You talked about you, your relationship with your dad is mm -hmm. very, We're very close, very integral yeah. to this business. What is what does he do? What was what was your experience of watching your parents work uh, growing up? My parents are both very hard workers, but they come from very different backgrounds. So my mom's a hairdresser. She's been a hairdresser for thirty five years, I think. I mean, it's it's been a long, well, far before my time. Um, Here in Cincinnati? Yes. Okay. Um, my father, he is very- Can you give a very, shout out to her business or anything for our huge audience? No, she's, <laughs> she works for a big corporate uh, um, okay. salon. Okay. All right. Uh, but my dad, he, um, I say he's the smartest person I've ever met. Hmm. He, his mind goes more than mine does. Um, he really can't shut his mind off, but he always has the next great idea. Mm -hmm. He has invented so many products. He um, has worked for a couple big names, um, uh, consumer products here in Cincinnati. Um, you know, he's invented things. He has all these really cool ideas. He was why I got into flipping houses because okay. pre-2008, he goes, I'm sorry, post-2008, he goes, I know what we can do and we're going to do this together. So, you know, right as, a, um, as a very young woman who probably doesn't look like someone who wanted to get like her hands dirty ripping up houses, he goes, let's do this. Hmm. Um, so he really brought that um, big vision. Yeah. And some really crazy ideas. You know, a lot of times we do not agree on ideas. You know, he comes at it from a very different um, mindset. You know, he doesn't know anything about women's fashion. He will admit that. But he really enjoys um, working with me on this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something that I think it's really good. It's a give and take where, you know, he has an idea. I have an idea. We figure out, you know, what, what really is kind of at the root of the idea. What do we want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. um, but I think seeing both my parents as very hard workers certainly yeah. helped. Um, and then being able to work, you know, kind of in, in conjunction with my father on this business, um, I don't think we would be anywhere where we are without his expertise. Yeah. So, like, when I talk about getting a shipping container full of jewelry in, um, I didn't know what goes into that. Who do you call when you need a shipping container yeah. brought in? It takes, now I know it takes 12 weeks across the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> um, you need something called a freight forwarder who helps you with taxes. You have to pay taxes on each product that comes over. And every product has a tax or a tax class. Hmm. So, you know, a necklace would be taxed at a different rate than, let's say, a, an earring. Right. Who knew? I didn't know. Yeah. And so he was really, really integral to that and continues to be. Wow. Wow. And it sounds like has I'm I mm -hmm. when I talk to makers, mm -hmm. I think there's a fundamental, and I've said this on past episodes, there's sort of, you know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Of the myriad of ways that you can divide up the two kinds of people in yeah. the world, there are people who, when they have an idea, have uh, along with that idea the confidence internally to make that idea a thing, and then people who can't imagine how that would how that would happen. In the same mm -hmm. way, there are entrepreneurs, and whatever the opposite of that <laughs> is. Um, and it sounds like you grew up with not only somebody who inspired you to think about things in new ways, but also had the confidence to say, and when you come up with that idea, you can make it your own. Yeah. He didn't say, well, wouldn't it be great if we started this housing? Boy, there's a lot of housing stock now that the market has tanked. Right. <laughs> Somebody should be making money off that. Yeah. He thought, let's do it. Yeah. And set out to do it and had the personal confidence to do it and instilled that in you, mm -hmm. which it sounds like makes you think, I, you know, somebody should do this. Maybe it should be me. Yeah. And, and to be completely honest, uh, the housing um, I mean, I don't want to call it flipping because we would take two years to flip a house. It's not like these shows where they come in and do it in six weeks. Yeah, so yeah. we would literally live in these houses as we were flipping them. Right. Um, I took all the money I made from that and I dumped 100% of it into this business. Mm. So, um, you know, when I, my mom jokes, when I was in sixth grade, I started, I called my house fund. When I was in sixth grade, I started saving for my first house. Wow. Because um, I've always kind of been trying to think ahead, but I never really have that plan, you know. 
a sixth grader probably isn't really serious about saving for a house, but that's what I said I was. Yeah. So, you know, I took that money and I put it into my first house, which I then sold. I lived there for a couple of years. I sold it. I, I earned a nice profit off of it. Mm-hmm. Sold that house, moved to Texas because why not? <laughs> Um, I think of a lot of reasons, Long story frankly. short, boy, boyfriend got a great job in Texas, so I, I followed him to Texas. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was renting down there because I really didn't have uh, the thoughts to buy a house in Texas. Austin's housing market was just going nuts. I didn't yeah. want to afford a house down there. Yeah. So I took all the money that I had earned and I dumped it into this business. And from there, it's just, it's grown from there. So I'm very fortunate that these weird little things that have happened in my past have really led me right to this, even though wasn't the plan. I never set out to do something like this, but that's just kind of where we ended up. Yeah. And I think that leads me to the question, uh, you know, as I think back to, for lack of a better specific example, the people who maybe are working at the advertising agency, Mm -hmm. people who are doing anything Mm -hmm. and thinking, I have an idea. I don't know how to bring that idea to life. I'm not, maybe I'm not miserable, but I'm not as happy as I could be. And I want to do something that has meaning that is meaningful to me, mm-hmm. how can those people think about their idea in a way? That's a great question. That they can bring it to life. What are the things that you've learned? What are the orientations that you have toward your ideas that give you that that push I to go out and make it real? You can't be afraid of failure because there was nothing that I did that I didn't second guess. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just have to go with your gut. And if it fails, it fails, and you know it's okay to fail. But if you don't try, I mean, this sounds so cliche. If you don't try, you don't know, and you have to put everything in it because, you know, if I kind of would have tried to dabble in this and maybe sell a necklace here and there, yeah, probably wouldn't have gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you have to put everything in it, and you know, you have to research things that you don't know because every idea that you're going to have, there's going to be some part of it that you don't know how to do. And you need to rely on your network of there's there's a lot of people that helped me along the way, whether it was with advice or styling tips or business tips or just all, all these things that, um, I mean, gosh, just yesterday I was talking to a friend um, about microphones and we're, we're going to shoot some videos. And okay. uh, she was giving me great advice on microphones because I don't know the first thing about them. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of people who... You know, either they like you, they like your idea, or, you know, they just want to feel helpful. So if people are offering to help, take them up on it. You know, don't let your pride get in the way. Mm-hmm. But you have to be willing to put 100% of yourself in. Yeah. And and if you fail, maybe your next one won't fail. But, right. you know, just you have to jump in. Yeah, yeah. I've interviewed people on the show and asked them a similar question. I think back to Mark Bowles, who's a tech entrepreneur, and him describing the number of things that he had been a part of. Mm-hmm. He calls them big smoking holes in the ground. <laughs> you know, the, the, the massive failures that he had experienced before he experienced the, the big success mm-hmm. that he's seen. It seems to be a common component for anybody that's yeah, entrepreneurial in any way. Sometimes I think if you have a gigantic failure, then all you can do is go up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe you could have a bigger failure next time, but then maybe your success will be that much better. And, you know, even if you fail, you learn. Yeah. There's been a lot of... Um, you know, avenues I've tried to go about selling our products that haven't worked. Mm. And that's okay because I've learned a lot, made a lot of connections in the industry. And you, you just take that and you know, figure out what's next. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think very often people think of failure in an almost phobic mm-hmm. sense that if this happens, I will die. Mm-hmm. I can't, or, or a part of me will. I will not survive this. Yeah. I can't go through that. And I think that's one of the main lessons of failure is you didn't. You're still okay. I'm okay. And you know what? Even if I failed, maybe people would have laughed at me, but I'm not in second grade and that's okay. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a lot of stigmas around it that yeah. I think a lot of them are self-imposed. And, you know, if you can come to peace with it and come to terms with it, mm-hmm. then, yeah, you're going to be fine. Yeah. We talked about um, what, uh, what you've learned through the process, what the surprising things, surprising challenges were. Mm-hmm. What have been the most surprising benefits? Obviously, you, you got into it for a fairly altruistic motive and you wanted to do good for these people and you've been able to do that. But mm-hmm. what has also been a benefit that you wouldn't have expected? Very selfishly, I don't consider myself very stylish. Mm-hmm. I feel like I dress better <laughs> on the days I leave the house because I, I work from home a lot of times. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, there's times where I can just like be a bum and be really comfy. But I've tried to um, 
work on my personal style a little bit more because mm. I want to show my products in the best light that they can be. So if I'm you know, at the grocery store just wearing a big old hoodie with my big old earrings on, that doesn't make my products look very good. <laughs> so I'm not saying anyone knows who I am, but it's just if I can feel good about how I look, then I think I can help other women feel good about how they look um, mm. and, and relate to them more. So, you know, figuring out, you know, uh, for my customer's sake, you know, what looks good together, what styles are current, um, I think that's something that I really didn't anticipate to get out of it. And again, it's selfish, but um, it surprised me. Interesting. All right. Well, it's been wonderful to talk to you about it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love the I love the vision into what you're doing and the honesty about it. And it is a wonderful business for people uh, that are listening. Go to ithoughtofyou.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will link on the distillerpodcast.com to your website and all of your social media pages. And best of success in the in the yeah. growing future of this wonderful business. It's really cool. I appreciate you spending time with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mandy. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at JAPS, located at 1136 Main Street in the heart of Over the Rhine, Cincinnati, Ohio. Thanks so much to Molly Wellman for hosting us and for the delicious Knickerbocker cocktail. JAPS is serving up classic and creative cocktails every Tuesday through Saturday. And I mentioned this earlier, but having a Molly Wellman cocktail is more than a drink. It's an education, a time capsule. So please stop by, say hi to Molly and the crew when you do, and be sure to say you heard it on The Distiller. Huge thanks as well to Mandy Nagel, founder and owner of I Thought of You. You can visit ithoughtofyou.com and see not only the beautiful wares for sale, but also learn about the artisans Mandy partners with and learn more about the I Thought of You story. Mandy regularly runs specials on the site, and you can sign up to be notified about all the new promotions, new collections, new artisans, and you can even learn about starting your own eco-friendly business. It's ever-changing and always doing wonderful good in the world, and we really appreciate Mandy coming on the show. Visit thedistillerpodcast.com for links not only to the ithoughtofyou.com site, but also to Mandy's social media pages, photos, and more. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson. Our show is mixed and edited by Justin Golden, with logo designed by Scott Ryan and videos by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts, listen, and download every episode of The Distiller at thedistillerpodcast.com, where you'll find links, photos of the guests, and a map of everywhere we've recorded an episode so far. If you like what we're doing, please follow, like, and share our posts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And if you'd like to help support The Distiller, just go to thedistillerpodcast.com and you can click on the Become a Patron button for more information. And finally, we would love it if you would take a second and rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. It helps us get the word out and helps more people find out about the show. Get in touch with us. You can always email us at thedistillerpodcast.com to tell us who you think should be on the show to talk about their search for meaningful work or where you think we should record the next show, including if you have a bar, a restaurant, or a cafe that you would like to host an episode. Whether it's by email or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or LinkedIn, drop us a line. We always love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Brandon Dawson. Thanks for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.